Hey, you're listening to episode three of the Living Richer podcast. In this episode, it's all about the financial side of the discovery process, clearly determining where you are today, where you want to be in the future, and putting the plan in place to get you there. Now, cue the music. Welcome to Living Richer with Mark Shimkovitz, Vice President at Raymond James Private Client Group, one of Canada's largest independent investment firms. In this podcast, he'll share with you the things you need to know and things you need to do to build a smart financial plan. Follow along with Mark and learn how to invest wisely, avoid financial mistakes, and navigate life's curveballs without fear. Now, let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living Richer podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark Shimkovitz. In episode two, we talked about the importance of starting your financial plan with the discovery process. As a recap, I took you through the first part of the exercise, where by using a values map, you can narrow in on and clarify your goals, your concerns. We talked about prioritizing them as well. What are the things that you most want to accomplish? What are your goals in the near term and in the long term? I talked about how we break down those goals into various categories. Broadly speaking, it covers the things that are most important to you in terms of family, occupation, and recreation. If you missed episode two, I definitely recommend you listen to it before this one. This is kind of like a follow-on to that. I've linked both the episode and the values map in the show notes. Walk through the exercise. I think you'll find it very eye-opening. Okay, so you've gone through the personal discovery. You know you have a strong understanding of why you're building a financial plan, the life goals you want to fulfill, and the concerns that you most want to address. But obviously, discovery can't just be about goals and dreams. I mean, that's that's only half of it. The other half of the discovery process is financial, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. In order to put together a realistic plan, you need to take stock of your current and expected financial situation by taking an honest and detailed look at your full financial picture. Before you can start to set goals for money, you need to know very clearly where are you today. I mean, think about it like some of the best run companies in the world. They develop goals for new products and services, what they want to do, where they want to go, what their priorities are, all the kinds of things that you're doing for yourself. What they're not doing is making any planning decisions for the company until they know what they're dealing with today from a financial standpoint. So they've got a chief financial officer who's going to analyze all of the details of the organization's balance sheet and income statement. In the same way, you'll want to do a solid and honest review of your balance sheet and your income statement. Well, what are those? Your balance sheet is everything you own and everything you owe. We also call those assets and liabilities. Your income statement is basically everything you have coming in, those are your inflows, minus everything you have going out, your outflows. When we start looking at budgeting further on down the road in other episodes, this is where we're going to focus in on. And I'll tell you right now, this is probably the area that people tend to falter the most on. That's their income statement. Jim Rohn, who's a very successful businessman, author, motivational speaker, has a great line when it comes to budgeting. He says, 
When your outflow is greater than your income, your upkeep becomes your downfall. Now think about that for a second. When your outflow is greater than your income, when you have more, more going out than you have coming in, your upkeep becomes your downfall. It's a great quote. I mean, I'll never forget it. And I really do believe that it's a philosophy to live by. So let's get into the financial discovery process. We start off by looking at your balance sheet in terms of your assets. For the most part, you want to add up your financial assets like your RSPs, TFSAs, any savings accounts, pensions, as well as appreciating in other words, things that go up, hard assets like real estate. If you have some bigger ticket items like a car that you own, valuable pieces of art, jewelry, you'll, you'll include those as well. Personally, I tend to skip over assets like furniture or your big screen TV. Now, they might make you look richer, but if you're like me and you've ever tried to sell any of those things, you quickly realize that they're really not worth what you think they are. Plus, they do these are assets that do continue to go down in value. So I, I suggest you just leave them off altogether. The other part of your balance sheet is your liabilities. So that's what you owe. This is going to include the total value of your mortgage, any money that you have borrowed on your line of credit. And just to be clear, it's the total size of, uh, it, it's not, sorry, <laughs> to be clear, it's not the total size of what you can borrow. It's just the amount that you currently have borrowed against that line of credit. Also, if you have an RSP loan, student loans, of course, you know, credit card debt. So you're going to add up all of the money that you owe, and that's your total debt. Now, a common mistake that a lot of people also make is when they're adding up their liabilities is they start to factor in the interest that they're paying. That doesn't get looked at here. That's part of the expenses that we're going to cover in a few minutes. So you've totaled up all of your assets and your liabilities. You have two numbers, and those are the only two numbers you need to determine your net worth. And your net worth is quite simply all of your assets minus all of your liabilities. It's simply a snapshot in time. So don't get too hung up on it. It just gives you an idea of where you're starting from. That's it. Now, before I forget, I know that gathering up all of this information can sound daunting, but I've got a great spreadsheet that's going to help you. Head over to my website, markshemkovitz.com. It's a free download. I'll also include a link to that in today's show notes. Okay, so now we'll move on to the second part of the financial discovery. Some might call it your personal cash flow statement or your income statement. In simple terms, what's coming in and what's going out. It's the point where we get to see if we're following Jim Rohn's adage about the outflow being greater than the income and your upkeep being your upkeep being your downfall. <laughs> Here we're going to be looking at all of your sources of income. If you're working, this is obviously going to include the net income from your employment. Maybe you're also making some money from a side business you're running from uh, or from an investment property, maybe you're leasing out the basement in your house. All of these sources of income together total up what you have. You you want to total up, sorry, what you have left after paying your taxes. Now, if you're retired, this is where you're going to look at things like your CPP. If you have a work pension, you're going to include that. Old age security and RIF income if you're collecting it. The other half of the income statement is your outflows. 
here's where things start to get a little tricky and it's why you'll definitely want to have some kind of a tool or a spreadsheet to help you categorize things. When it comes to the outflows, I look at it as there being three broad areas that they fall under. Those are your needs, your wants, and your savings. In future episodes, we're going to take a deeper dive uh, into budgeting and we'll look at strategies for deciding how much money should be the right amount to be putting into each of these areas. For now though, let's just focus on what these areas are made up of. First, there are your needs. These are the core things you need to live. They would include utilities, groceries, mortgage or rent, prescription medications, car expenses, and the minimum payment on your credit card. Next, we look at your savings and debt repayments. In other words, paying off the past and investing in the future. Student loans, credit card payments, and retirement accounts all fall under this category. And oftentimes, I recommend not even putting this into a separate category because paying down debt, when I'm talking about debt and savings, paying down debt, especially bad debt, is kind of like saving money. Putting money into a savings investment or paying off a loan both result in an increase in your net worth and have a measurable return. All I want you to remember is that in this category, the savings and debt repayment are the ones where you're investing in your future. The goal of this category is to create a foundation for achieving all of those goals we talked about in the personal part of the discovery process. The last category deals with your wants. This is the money spent on the things you want, but you could live without. When it comes to budgeting, this is your flexible spending, and I guess you could say it's your live-for-today money. Spending on things like vacations, shopping sprees, or a car that you always coveted. But remember, these wants include all the things you don't need to stay afloat. Be sure to prioritize them. It's no surprise that this is where, where the outflow becomes people's downfall. Put all that together and it basically sums up the review of where you are today. In other words, your balance sheet, your assets minus your liabilities, and your income statement, what you've got coming in minus what you've got coming going out. The next step in the financial discovery process is attaching numbers and time frames for the life goals that you set out in the first part of the discovery process. Uh, this is the part where some people might find that they need some help. When you're working with your financial advisor, he or she will likely use some sophisticated software to make these projections. For example, in order to try and make the projections as realistic as possible, when I'm creating a long-term financial plan for a client, I think it's really important that we factor in things like inflation and taxes. If you don't, you run into the risk of underestimating your spending needs. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I was recently meeting with a client, but she's about 35 years old, and we were talking about her retirement plan. While adding up how much money she was going to need, she told me that Part of her plan was to travel in retirement, and that was a huge goal for her. So she said that she would like to factor into her plan the money to pay for at least one major trip every couple years. I asked her, okay, well, what do you think that these trips would cost? And she said nowadays it would probably be somewhere in the area of $10,000. 
and we did the calculation and we found out that if inflation was about 3%, by the time she retires at age 65, that same $10,000 trip is going to cost her almost $25,000. So clearly, if we didn't take inflation into consideration and we only factored in $10,000 30 years from now, she wouldn't have nearly enough. If you aren't working with an advisor, there are some great online tools to help you calculate inflation, and I will link to one of my favorites in the show notes. Although $10,000 trips might not be included in your goals, no matter what you're planning on spending your money on, it's crucial that you set targets for how much you're going to need, when you're going to need them, and then factor in inflation and taxes. And of course, taxes would apply more to your income, But if you're looking at how much money you're going to be making in the future as your income grows, you want to take that net amount and reduce the taxes. Only then will you be able to figure out how much money you'll need to save to get you there. And by the way, for that client, it turned out that if she generates a 5% after-tax return, all she'll need to do is save about 30 bucks a month to have $25,000 in 30 years. And that's starting from zero. And that goes back to one of my earlier points about the power of compound growth. So once we complete the financial discovery process, we'll have a very clear picture of where you are today, where you want to be, and how much you'll need to get you there and all of the points along the way. You'll be able to see if there are any gaps in terms of reaching your goals. And don't worry if you find gaps. In fact, very few people go through the discovery process without finding that they've got, got some gaps. And, and we need to figure out every hope and dream. It's, it's probably why a lot of people tend to avoid the process. But see, here's the thing. By knowing all the information, even the tough stuff, you can begin to look at options to fill in those gaps. It allows you to prioritize your plan from an objective standpoint as opposed to an emotional one. It's only when you have all the information in front of you that you can truly determine what's most important to you and what areas maybe you're willing to give up on. Although it seems fairly logical to do a financial discovery first, I can't tell you how many people skip this step. If you think about financial a financial plan as a roadmap to the future, then your balance sheet is your starting point on the roadmap. And your income statement is the engine that's going to get you there. And if you think about it in those terms, without having a very clear understanding in place, creating a meaningful and useful map to the future, it's it's virtually impossible. I know I've said this before, but so often I meet with people for the first time who ask me to make recommendations right off the bat. Before I know anything about their current situation or what they're hoping to achieve, they look at an investment plan as if it was their financial plan. Let's be clear. An investment portfolio is not the same as a financial plan. I can tell you that building a portfolio of investments before clarifying your purpose and your goals, it's a recipe for failure. You know, I'm thinking back to actually a retired couple that was referred to me back in the summer of 2011. There were a number of things that they wanted to do, but what one of the spouses wanted most was to put money into gold stocks. 
So here it was, talking about investments before strategy. After all, it was only a couple of years after the Great Recession of 08, 09. There were some soothsayers on TV that were calling for another decline, saying that we could be heading back into another recession and that gold was the only safe thing to own. The couple wanted to know which gold companies I recommended and if there were any gold mutual funds that they should consider. In case you're not aware of what was going on back then, this was probably fairly a fairly common conversation that was taking place. After all, the price of gold had just quadrupled over the previous five or six years. And having just come out of that massive recession and, and stock market correction where the markets had dropped by over 30%, who wouldn't want to be in something that seemed so secure? Gold was trading at all-time record highs and going higher. It was $1,900 an ounce that summer, and many of the pundits, and I'm using air quotes here, were making predictions of $2,000 an ounce, $3,000. I remember seeing one guy talk about $5,000 an ounce. So getting back to the couple, the first thing I did was tell them, sure, you know, gold's interesting, but before we get into recommendations... How about I get to learn a little bit more about you? So it turns out the couple was retired. They had fairly limited income sources. Although they didn't have any debt, they also really didn't have a lot of liquid investments. Their net worth was good, but most of it was tied up in their house. I also learned about a serious health issue that one of them was struggling with and also how they might need to provide financial support to a child. Because of a potentially shorter life expectancy, they really wanted to travel while they could. One of them had just completed a special designation, was now hoping to achieve a lifelong goal of teaching at a local college. The more I sat there and I listened and I learned about this couple, the more I knew that there was about a 0% chance that I was going to allow them to plop most of their savings down on gold stocks. The financial plan that I quickly started to envision for them included ways to ensure that they could both achieve everything they want to, wanted to achieve. In the end, we mapped out a great strategy for them that was focused on them, not, on a, not a strategy that was based on some guy on TV who said what they should do. A major gap for them was having the liquid capital to meet their needs. For them, this was pretty significant. So we ran the numbers and we found out that if they sold their house, they could rent a very nice apartment and also do all they wanted to do. Yes, they had lived in this house for the past 30 years and it was great. But now that the kids had grown up and moved out, it was no longer a priority for them. They had a gap in their plan and we filled it in, in a way that made sense for them. We also updated their estate plan to take into consideration the health challenges that they were that we were aware of at the time. And I'm fortunate enough to have a fairly deep bench of very smart people that I can call upon in other areas. In this case, we needed the wills and powers of attorney to get done right, and we did. We also looked at a lot of what-ifs in their plan. And I have to say, no matter how well planned out things are, it will never go exactly according to plan. So you need to plan for the contingencies. With this couple, 
after they sold their house, some of the money was used to maximize contributions to their tax-free savings accounts and reduce what they pay in taxes. We put money into an emergency fund in case they needed it, and we also built a much more suitable investment portfolio that was focused on conservatively growing their assets while providing the additional income they would need for their planned trips. So it's now been, what, seven or eight years since I first met the couple, and first and foremost, I am happy to say that the major health issue is now just a distant memory. The couple has actually traveled to a lot of places that I can't wait to visit one day. And the professor absolutely loves his second career as a college educator. They really are living a richer life and on their terms. To me, this is what financial planning is all about. Oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering, if you don't really follow gold, here's what's happened since then. After hitting that all-time high in the summer of 2011, it started a long, gradual slide, and by 2015, it had dropped by 50%. Many of the biggest and best gold companies had lost 70%, 80%. Some disappeared completely. And now, whenever I meet with a couple for a review and an update, I know that they'll usually start off with a joke about the time we met, and they had to lift me off the floor after they asked me to put all their money into gold. So I really feel that their story nicely sums up not only the process that we covered in the last two episodes, but it also gives you a solid glimpse into the importance of going through the exercise. It really does ensure that the recommendations that your advisor makes for you are suitable and are personalized to take you from where you are today to where you want to be in the future. Thanks for listening, but... Before we go, here are my three key takeaways for today. Number one, a proper discovery will marry your goals, hopes, dreams, and concerns with your current and expected financial situation. Number two, an investment portfolio is not the same as a financial plan. The financial plan will act as your roadmap and the investment portfolio is part of the vehicle that will help you get to where you're going. And number three, once you complete the discovery phase, you will most likely have financial gaps to fill in and that's okay. The purpose of discovery is to give you clarity so you can evaluate your priorities and figure out how to best fill those gaps. Thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to keep sharing with you, connecting with you, and helping you build your wealth. And hey, if you like what you've heard so far, hit the subscribe button and feel free to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Of course, you can reach out to me by email through my website. Any questions you've got, if there's topics you'd like me to cover, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. And see you next time on Living Richer. Information in this podcast is from sources believed to be reliable. However, we cannot represent that it is accurate or complete. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. The views are those of Mark Chimkovitz and not necessarily those of Raymond James Limited. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund.